0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. If you would uh, open up your worship guides and take out your teaching notes, and if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just hold your place there. We're going to look at about seven verses in chapter 8 in just a few minutes. Um, Two weeks ago, we stepped into our first series of the new year. The series is called um, uh, Radical. And um, throughout the series, we're looking at some of the spiritual realities, the spiritual truths of the Christian lifestyle that actually make it a radical lifestyle. Uh, The Christian lifestyle becomes a radical lifestyle uh, when its thoughts, its actions, its beliefs, and its attitudes are rooted in biblical truth with Jesus as the standard. Uh, The radical lifestyle of the believer always goes above and beyond. And the radical lifestyle of the believer refuses to conform to the... um, The social norms of the culture that are not based, uh, are not rooted in in biblical truths and do not have Jesus as the standard. So that's where we're going during this series. Um, I thought this morning I would uh, inspire you with a few stories that will set the stage for the message today. And the first is about a woman by the name of Brenda Jones. I read about Brenda Jones earlier this week. Um, Brenda had been suffering from um, acute uh, liver failure, and she was told that without a liver transplant, she would not survive. Uh, Brenda, 69 years old and had no desire to die, but she knew without a new liver that Death was inevitable sooner than later. So she was placed on the transplant list. One day she got a call from her doctor, and sure enough, a match had been found. And so she began to anticipate, and she began to prepare for transplant surgery. Uh, She received a second call from her doctor, and her doctor made her aware of a young woman by the name of Abigail who had been flown into the hospital who was in need of a liver and that without a liver transplant, that she would pass within a 24-hour period. It just so happened that the liver that was a match for Brenda was also a match for this young girl, Abigail. So Brenda had a choice to make. She didn't hesitate. She gave the doctor's permission to give her liver to this young girl, and as a result, uh, Abigail survived. That's radical. That's actually radical generosity. Here's a second story. Uh, a real estate company in Maryland had a phenomenal year. They had significant profits and um, they met all of their year end goals. So they decided rather than keeping all of the profit for themselves, they would do something out of the box. And so when they brought their 198 employees together for the annual Christmas party, each person, each employee received a bonus that year of $50,000. This is a true story. That night they gave away $10 million. Is that radical? Yeah, that, that's radical generosity. A third story that I want to tell you, and uh, this might be my favorite because it just hits a little closer to home, um, pastor Farrell, uh, our lead pastor uh, and pastor at Cornelius Campus and of all of our campuses, uh, his wife Charlotte, during the Christmas season, uh, hosted a Christmas party at her house. Uh, she invited uh, 25 ladies to come to the Christmas party, and she asked that each lady would bring between 50 and $100. The theme of the night was, let's be generous. Um, as the ladies gathered, uh, the, the goal was, that, of course, they would enjoy one another's company as they celebrated uh, Christmas and the reason for the season uh, being Jesus. But also, they would um, order food from some local food establishments, and when the delivery person came, they would bless the socks off of them with the most incredible tip. So the first person shows up. He is very surprised when he comes into this home with 25 very joyful, gleeful, giggling, happy women. I mean, he's just really taken back, but he's even more taken back when he receives a tip from those women for $800. An $800 tip. Can you imagine being that delivery person? And not only did they tip him, but they prayed for him before he left. That's radical. That's radical generosity. But it doesn't stop there. They did it a second time. The second time they ordered Domino's pizza. And when the pizza delivery guy shows up, he too is very surprised to find this house full of 25 women who are laughing and giggling and just feel like there's something going on in the room. And he's even more surprised when he receives a tip of $500. Again, this is a true story. And they prayed for him, and most importantly, they prayed for his grandmother, who was very sick. That's radical, isn't it? That is radical generosity. Well, if that's not enough, they did it a third time. This time, they ordered a Subway sandwich. A Subway sandwich. Um, When the delivery person arrives, she, again, is very taken back. At this house full of really happy women. Because think about this. By this time now, they've given away an $800 tip, and they've given away a $500 tip, and there's more to give. And so this woman is taken back, and she was taken back when she received a $700 tip. Rather than me trying to explain what that looked like, let's watch a video and see how it unfolds. But you got to say what the car, the cups say first. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. So oh, now the man. way you get your tip tonight is you get to pick under the cup what oh. your tip is going to be. <laughs> um, I'll this. Okay, go ahead. Take that one.
1: Oh, my, God. Oh my, God. Oh my
0: God. You know what? We just want to bless you so much. We want you to keep going. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Take it. know how much that really the Lord was working in your life through so this. Can me, pray for you? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm away from my kids a uh, couple of states right now. Yes. Yeah. And I was really worried. I've been without a job for two weeks, and I've been doing this just for gas. Uh, and I've got car insurance and all this stuff. It was yeah. just unexpected. So just pray for my kids. She could. Mm-hmm. Just that I can be the mother that God wants Yes. Yeah. 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 Holy Father, we We thank you, Father, that not by the that but she's here. But God, you had a divine appointment with her tonight. Father, I pray that she will experience your love in such a powerful way, Lord. You hear her cry. She wants to be a better mother, Father. In the name of Jesus, we meet her prayer, Father. May you touch her children and touch her. May you open doors that um, have been closed that she may um, provide for her family, Father God. Lord. May you just show her your amazing love and kindness, and may she ever be the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Wow. I mean, what, there's, there's so much you could say, and there's so little to be said because you're, you're just astounded. Two things I would say. One is, it was not by chance that she was the one who showed up at that house that night, right? God orchestrated that. And you saw the need that she had. But also, what those women did was very radical. Wouldn't you agree? And what they did, what they displayed was radical generosity. In fact, all the stories that we've I've shared with you this morning. They are are, are are stories. They are examples of radical generosity, and that's what we want to spend our time talking about as we're in this series in radical. This morning, we want to talk about radical generosity. You see, our culture shouts out, "Get all you can." Really, I mean, every every commercial, a- everything about it, get all you can. But the radical life of the kingdom challenges us to the exact opposite of that. You see, the kingdom principle is that we've been called to live as radically generous people. We've been called to actually give more than we take. Uh, The kingdom principle is that when we release more of what we have We actually receive more than we could ever imagine. And I want to just say that's not just that you receive more money, but we receive more peace and more joy and more love and more forgiveness and everything that God has to offer. I believe we experience it in a greater way. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at a story found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 7 that is a picture of. Uh, of what I believe is the heartbeat uh, of radical generosity. But in order to really understand what's going on, I want to just give you some background. I want to set some context. Uh, when we read through uh, the New Testament writings, particularly the writings of Paul, uh, what we find is that Paul has been involved in collecting uh, uh, an offering for uh, Jews or Christians who were living in Jerusalem who were suffering great poverty. And, and what we can tell as we as we study his writings is that it appears that he's been involved uh, or engaged in collecting this offering over about a five-year period. And he's, he's challenged uh, the Macedonians. He's uh, uh, challenged the believers in Galatia. He's challenged the believers in, in um, Asia Minor, uh, Achaia. He's challenged them to participate towards this need, meeting the need of these poverty-stricken Christians. Uh, the group These Christians were in poverty for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons would be that Hebrew Christians were ostracized when they were converted to Christianity. And so as a result, they suffered great economic consequences. Another reason would be that they lacked food because of a famine. Um, Jewish Christians living in Palestine were taxed double by Rome. So all of these things contributed towards this poverty that they were living in. And then there's Paul. Why was Paul so committed to helping meet this need? Well, we know that as we read Paul's writings, that Paul had a great love for the church. And Paul had a great love for the believers Scattered everywhere. So we know that meeting this need would flow out of his love for, for the people of God, those who had chosen to follow the way. Uh, but we also uh, would think that he, he understands that it would be a tangible demonstration of the equality that it really did exist between Jew and Gentile. And he knew that it would honor Jesus. So he was involved in this collection. Perhaps one of the reasons... That Paul was so committed to meeting the need of these poverty-stricken Christians in Jerusalem is looking back on how he treated them before his own conversion. What did he do? He persecuted everyone who had committed to the way. The way of Jesus Christ. Um, The Corinthian church, that's who he's writing to. It's what we're reading. It's a letter to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church, the believers in Corinth, had engaged in this offering initially, but somewhere along the way, uh, it seems like they dropped out. So what we find in these first seven verses of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 is rather than Paul scolding them or condemning them for dropping out of their participation in this offering, he uses the example of the Macedonian church. He uses the example of the believers within the Macedonian church as an example of what radical generosity looks like in hopes that it would uh, actually uh, cause them, it would inspire them to re-engage uh, in this offering. So if you'd follow along as I read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith... In speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So um, what we see here, or what let me tell you what we don't see. What Paul is writing about in these first seven verses, this is not a message about tithing. He, he's not reminding them, you need to be sure you tithe There's nothing about this passage uh, that that would be about tithing. And this today is not a message. It's not a passive-aggressive message to make sure that you're tithing. That's actually really between you and God, that you would follow those biblical concepts. Uh, So what he's doing is um, he's pulling from what we see. uh, When you look at chapters 8 and 9, what we find is that chapters 8 and 9 as a whole are, um, uh, it's, it's a lesson on what generosity looks like. It's a lesson on on radical generosity. All of chapters 8 and 9 actually give clarity. They give meaning to what radical generosity looks like. So, drawing from the seven verses that we read, uh, drawing from the example of the Macedonian church, what was the heart of their generosity? What was the heartbeat of their generosity? What do we learn about radical generosity? Well, to begin with, as Paul spotlights the Macedonian church, the Macedonian believers, he emphasizes that their generosity took place during very adverse circumstances. Their generosity took place during very adverse circumstances. What was their adversity? Well, history tells us that Rome had seized their gold and silver mines, um, history tells us that they had taxed their copper and their iron smelting. They had canceled their rights to cut trees for home and shipbuilding. And the Macedonians had had several wars fought on their home territory. So, all of this together caused them to be living in great adversity. They were a people who were, who were squeezed. Uh, so, Paul isn't painting a picture of people who were wealthy and reached into their purses and gave out of their wealth. Instead, he exposes a group of oppressed people who gave out of their poverty, who gave out of their adversity. He spotlights a group of people who also gave because they wanted to and not because they had to. He offers the Macedonian believers as a group of people who are actually giving above and beyond their ability to give. So think about it. They're in great adversity. They're suffering their own persecutions, yet they give, and they give more according to the passage than what they're actually able to give. Uh, think for a moment. I Just think about this and, and go with me on this. Think about a, a tube of toothpaste. What do you have to do to get the toothpaste out of the tube? You you have to squeeze it. So for a moment, I want you to imagine uh, the Macedonian believers uh, being like a, a tube of toothpaste that was being squeezed. And as they're being squeezed by their adversity, by their own suffering, it's very surprising what actually comes out. Because what Paul says is while they were being squeezed, joy and generosity came out. That in itself is pretty phenomenal, right? They find themselves in the most adverse circumstances. They're being squeezed. They're being pressed by these circumstances. And in the midst of that, joy, joy comes out in the midst of their adversity and generosity. And so as I was working through this this week, that very thing caused me to stop and ask myself, when I'm being squeezed by situations and circumstances, that seem beyond my control. And at the same time, I'm confronted with the needs of other people. What comes out? What comes out when I'm being squeezed? Is it joy and generosity? Or is it worry and anxiety and saying something like, I hope they figure it out because I just can't do anything to help them. It makes me think about... Uh, all we learned in, in, as we studied James, that when we see a need, we're supposed to meet it. But oftentimes, because we're being squeezed, we go, I, I'm just sorry, I, just, I, can't, I can't do anything. But then you think about the Macedonians who gave in their adversity, and they gave beyond what they had the ability to give. So I've asked that about myself, but now I say, what about you? When you're being squeezed by circumstances and adversity, Everything's pressing in, and at the same time you're confronted with someone else's need, what comes out? Joy and generosity? Or is it something else that's completely the opposite? So the lesson learned from the Macedonians is that outward circumstances and difficulties should not keep us from practicing radical generosity. They're an example that it is possible to give in the midst of adverse situations. Um, As Paul spotlights the believers of the Macedonian church, he emphasizes the fact that they they actually viewed generosity, giving to others, They, 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 they viewed blessing others as a privilege. In other words, in the midst of their adversity, they considered being able to participate in this offering as a privilege. And that caused me to think about these 25 women who were invited to this Christmas party. I think that they had uh, one or two choices they could have made. Uh, perhaps they received the invitation, whether it came in the mail or it was an email, an invite, whatever it was. Uh, uh, they could have read the invitation and said, can you believe that I have been invited to a Christmas party and they have the nerve to ask me to bring 50 to 100 dollars? Can you believe that in this Christmas season, when I am being pressed, just trying to make sure I can meet the needs of my extensive Christmas list and all my shopping, that, that, that someone would expect me to come and bring money that I don't even have and, and, and give it away? I'm just trying to meet my own needs. Or they could have responded in the way I believe that they responded because we could see it, we could hear it in that video. Wow. What a concept. How incredible that I have been invited to participate in blessing other people this way. I would have never thought of this on my own. But I'm so excited that I can go and give what I have to bless other people, strangers, and experience the joy of giving. I I know because I know so many of those women, they considered it a privilege to be able to participate. And probably some of them were being squeezed and probably some of them really didn't have uh, in the natural an extra 50 to 100 dollars. But they went and what they experienced that night was was incredible. I love how Paul describes the scene with the with the Macedonians. He said they urgently pleaded with us. For the privilege of sharing in this service. In other words, when they heard about the situation, when they heard about the need, when they heard about the opportunity, they literally begged to be part of the offering. Um, It's believed that Paul had been hesitant to ask them because of their own adversity. But that didn't stop them. They didn't wait for the invitation they said, please, let us participate in blessing these people. It's almost like they demanded to be able to give. And so once again, I, I do a lot of personal reflection when I'm preparing messages. So once again, it caused me to stop and ask myself, when was the last time that I begged to give without being prompted? When was the last time? Um, I ask myself, is generosity a part of my natural or unnatural thinking? In other words, does generosity come naturally to me, or do I have to be prompted because it's it's an unnatural way for me to think? And so I ask you this morning, what about you? How would you answer those questions about yourself? So the lesson learned is living generously is a privilege. Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 8, Paul spotlights what I believe is the most significant example of the believers in the Macedonian church. It says, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Radical generosity really isn't about the money that we give. It's not about the stuff that we give, the things that we give. It's not about the resources that we provide. Radical generosity is first about us giving ourselves generously to God. We give ourselves. Um, The the generous radical offering of ourselves to God is really the key to opening up radical generosity in life. It's the key to the giving of our money, our time, and our resources. Um, Because When we give ourselves first to God, that means we're giving him everything we have. We're giving him ourselves. And that's a whole message on the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. But what happens is as we give, we recognize that what we have isn't actually ours, but it was his anyway. And he's simply given it to us to steward. We're just the channel through which we, uh, he flows through what's already his out to the people who, who need it. And then he continues to bless us and so that we can continue in this cycle. So what happens is when we give ourselves first to God, our mindset about our stuff and our money changes, and we, we do we, we open ourselves up to be that, that channel that he can uh, uh, send his resources through. So their example was they gave themselves first to God and then they gave of their finances. And the lesson learned is God's not looking for the sacrifice of our resources. He wants us to offer ourselves to him. So this caused me once again to stop and ask a very personal question. How radical am I? Emphasis on the word radical. How radical am I in really offering myself to God first? It's really easy for me to say, God, I surrender. I give you everything. But so often when I really do self-examination, I realize I'm saying that, but there are certain areas that I'm holding on to because I'm afraid. I, I, I've kind of recognized that I, I, I can say it, but I don't necessarily follow through completely because I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I give up control, I don't know what you're going to do. It might be something that I don't like. And it's never that way. It, it, it's, it's never that way. So I would ask you, ask yourself the same question. How about you? Um, I asked earlier what was the heart, the heartbeat of the radical generosity of the believers in Macedonia, in other words, what was it that fueled their generosity? So now I ask, how do we activate their example of radical generosity in our lives? What is it that should fuel our generosity? I'll give you three things very quickly. Number one, it begins by acknowledging that God is a generous God. God has treated us with nothing but love and kindness and forgiveness. And he's done it generously. He's generously poured those things out on us. He's been generous in mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. He's been generous in relationships and material resources. He's been generous in that he has saved us from the penalty of sin. And he's been generous in that he's creating a home for us in heaven. So God is a generous God. So, in other words, recognizing that God is a generous God means that we can take all he's blessed us with and bless other people in the same way. Second thing, our generosity is fueled when, listen to this, when we end our love affair with our money and our worship-like devotion to our stuff. We... we, we we have to break up with our money. It's not that money's not important, but we have to break up with it. We can't have this love affair that's greater with money than it is with God. We, we have to break up with it. And whether we want to admit it or not, I would imagine that in all of our homes, whether it be in our closet, in our garage, furniture, we have whatever it might be, that there are things that if somebody said, you need to give that away? Go, uh-uh, 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 not that. Not, not that. And so that says, are we worshiping that? Has it become a, a, an idol to it? Listen, our money's fickle. Has anybody found that out? Our, our money's very fickle. And our stuff, it doesn't hang around for the long haul. What does it do? It breaks. It wears out. It goes out of style. It just, it's just no good anymore. It's fickle too. And we, we have to recognize We've got to end the love affair with it. We we can't worship our stuff. And finally, we have to recognize that radical generosity is a lifestyle choice. So, when I, this is what's so important, we're talking about a lifestyle. Throughout this whole series, we're talking about a radical lifestyle, and one of the one of the aspects of this radical. Lifestyle is in how we steward what God's given to us. But it's not about a one-time thing, but it's that our mindset would be because we're giving ourselves to God, it's just the way we live because we trust God. It's not a one-off and I'm done, but that we are continually determining how we can meet the needs of others. And I want to say, it's not just about giving money away. Time, talent, Resources, energy, all of those things, those are all things that we can be generous with. God has called us to be generous. He's called us to have a lifestyle of generosity and that it would saturate every part of our lives. So I'll ask the question again as I've asked myself, what about you? What is it that you need to draw from the Macedonian believers and bring it into modern day life today and say, this is going to apply to my life. This is how I'm going to live. I'm going to live a radical, generous lifestyle. Would you bow your head so I can pray for you? Yes. Father, we just take a moment to pause and absorb your word you to speak to us personally. We begin by just thanking you for your generous love towards us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that you loved us so much that you gave, you gave, you gave your son so that we could have forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. Thank you for the generosity of forgiveness and of love and of mercy and of grace. And for the material resources that you provide us with every day. But I also pray that um, any unhealthy alliances with any of those things would be broken in us. That we would release them in our hearts, recognizing that they really do belong to you. I pray, Father God, that when we're squeezed with adversity, with challenges, with trying circumstances, that what would come out as we're being squeezed would be joy and generosity. Teach us, I pray. I pray that we would be a people who offer ourselves first to you so that our heart and our mindset can change In relation to our money and our stuff. So, God, we offer ourselves to you today. We ask that by your Spirit, you continue to work in us, work this out, and help us to make the adjustments, the changes that we need to make. Even as we go through this week, may this be a message that's not forgotten, but instead, may it be a message that we just continue to chew on and we listen to your Holy Spirit and we receive the power from the Spirit to make the adjustments, to make the changes. So we offer ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.